Hope that you guys have had a wonderful morning already and excited to dive into God's Word together. It's great to see all of you here at our Nine Mile campus. We also want to say a special welcome to you guys watching online. Uh, regardless of what platform you're using, uh, we are just thankful that you are tuning in with us this morning. As Pastor Brad just said, we are right in the middle of uh, this series called Restart, where we are really kind of uh, dissecting what our mission of who we are at Hillcrest and what that's all about. As a reminder, our mission at Hillcrest is to help people in becoming like Christ who worship God, who connect with others, who serve the world, and who invest in someone. Pastor Jim, uh, earlier this month, spent some time talking um, and sharing with us about it, what it means to uh, become like Christ. And Pastor uh, Brian encouraged us on what it means to worship God. And just last week, Pastor Eric challenged us to connect with others. And so this morning, I have the honor of talking through another aspect of our mission here at Hillcrest, and that is serving the world. So to accomplish this, we are going to spend our time together this morning looking at a story in the Bible that most people are very familiar. Whether you grew up in church or this is your first time here most everyone at some point has heard the story or are at least familiar with the moral of uh, the story of the Good Samaritan. And so my prayer this morning is that as we all come to this text, we will do so with a fresh set of eyes and a fresh heart, willing to learn something new regardless of how familiar it is. And so what I want us to do this morning is just start off together by just praying to that end together. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the absolute gift it is to be able to open up your word and to study it together. And I pray, Lord, that it will um, divide our hearts, that it would, it would pierce us, Lord, that your word would be alive and fresh to us. And may we see this as if we've never seen it before. So God, we just ask that you would speak to us now through your word. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. All right, so go ahead, if you have your Bibles, and turn with me to Luke chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 25. And I want us to read through this text together. But while we're doing so, I'm going to show you some things in this text that are important for us today. Then we will see how this applies to our lives as we examine this idea of serving the world. Okay, so let's start off in verse 25. The Bible says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, him being Jesus, to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, as we get started, there's a couple of things here that stick out in this text that I want you to make sure that you are aware of. First, this lawyer, uh, your translation of the Bible may say uh, the, an expert in Jewish law or something. It's, it's the same, same thing, but this lawyer is asking one of the most important and basic of all religious questions. And that question is, how can I know that I'm going to heaven? But there's something else happening here as well. This is not a sincere question. This is a test for Jesus. It's very, I mean, he says that the, the Bible says it right there that he is testing Jesus. So let's continue reading. Verse 26, he, being Jesus, said to him, the lawyer... What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind 
and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to the lawyer, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, that's a pretty big do, right? Like, I mean, think about what Jesus is commanding here. He is commanding to love God supremely. This means that you are to make God the highest passion in your heart, the one that you think about first and most. You should care more about pleasing him than anything else in your life. Like when your mind is idle, it should naturally turn to him in delight. And in addition, love everybody else as much as you love yourself. In other words, care about your neighbor's needs as much as you care about your own needs. Like rejoice in their happiness. Worry about their futures and weep about their sorrows just as much as you do your own. Right? Who, who in here wants to raise their hand and say, yeah, that, that pretty much describes my weekend. Right? It's, it's a hard challenge. But herein lies the dilemma of that commandment. How do you command something like that? Right? Love is the kind of thing that you either do naturally or you don't. If you already love something, you don't need to be commanded to love it. Like, for example... You do not have to command me to kiss my wife. That is not a commandment you have to tell me. Right? You do not have to command me to enjoy my kids. That's that's not something you have to command me to do. You don't have to command me to enjoy eating an A1 peppercorn burger from Red Robin. Like that is not something you have to command me to do, right? You don't have to command me to cheer for your reigning, defending, undefeated national champion Alabama Crimson Tide. Roll Tide. You don't have to command me to do that. I already love those things. Right? But the flip side of that is if I don't love something, there's no command that you can give me that's going to change that. Like, for instance, I don't love the smell of broccoli. Like, I will eat it, but I hate the smell. How is it possible for something to taste good but smell that bad? Right? Something else that I don't love at all, cats. I mean, they're just so mean, like always like ready to pounce. You know who does like cats? Satan. That's who likes cats. That's like Satan loves the cats, right? And I know, I know, I know your cat is different. I get it. But listen, I don't believe you at all. Jeez. My wife told me I probably should have left that example in my head and not said that out loud. <laughs> Listen, if that offended you, I'm sorry. You can shoot me an email and tell me all about it. My email address is bwoods at hillcrestchurch.com. B as in Brad. Brad Woods at hillcrestchurch.com. My point is no command that you will give me will make me love those things, right? Love is the kind of thing that you either do naturally or you don't. So therein lies the dilemma. Right, let's keep going, verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, well, then who is my neighbor? So what's happening here is this guy is starting to feel the squeeze of the commandment, so he's trying to limit its scope so that he can meet it. And it's at this point that Jesus is going to transition to tell a story that shifts the question, kind of turning it on its head. And in the process, Jesus will show us what it means to love and serve our neighbors and how we can develop the ability to do so. 
So let's read this together. Verse 30, Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, when the Bible says down from Jerusalem to Jericho, that was literal. Like this is a, about a 17-mile walk that drops about 3,000 feet in elevation. And in, on that path, there were a bunch of rocky ledges around it. And, and so it was an ideal place for robbers to hide. Verse 31 says, Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, there are several different commentaries that will give you several different opinions on why this priest didn't stop to offer assistance. For instance, some feel that he didn't stop because of the danger that these roads presented, right? It was known that this road was known as uh, the pass of blood. And so a lot of times, if you got started on this road, you didn't stop. It, this was not someplace you stopped. And so that's, that's one viewpoint, Another commentary uh, says that he didn't stop because he had just left the temple after serving God for a week and he was exhausted and anxious to get home. Still another commentary says he didn't stop because he, uh, he had been at the temple purifying himself so he could perform his religious duties. And according to Jewish law, if you touched a man who had died, then you have to go back to the temple to be purified again, which takes another seven days. Regardless of your research, the, the fact remains that he didn't stop to assist this beaten man who was in need of help. Then verse 32 tells us, So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now it's important to know that Levites, they were not full-on priests yet. They were kind of like JV priests. They wanted to be it, but they weren't yet. So like they were to priest what Paul Blart Mall Cop is to cops. Right, like not fully there, wants to be, but not quite there yet. And here's the deal: many theologians actually believe that the priest and the Levite they actually pass by this beaten man in pretty close proximity to one another. And if this Levite is striving to become a priest, he probably thought to himself, "Well, if this priest didn't do it, it would not be wise for me to do it because I'm just trying to follow my leader." But then verse 33 says, "But a Samaritan." As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, if you are familiar with the Bible at all, you know that the Samaritans were the sworn enemies of the Jews. Jews regarded Samaritans to be unclean because they were half Jew, half Gentile. They were this offspring of the Assyrians, and they had conquered the northern part of Israel and forced the Jews to intermarry. They were half-bloods or mud-bloods for you Harry Potter fans. The Samaritans, on their part, they, they retaliated by saying that they were the true people of God because they lived in the land of Joseph and they were his descendants and they actually built an alternate altar and said that theirs was the true one. And so there's this racial violence that's back and forth. right? To the Jews, the only good Samaritan was a dead one. Get this, Jews actually considered just sharing the bread of a Samaritan as equal to eating the flesh of a swine, which was the most defiled animal to them. And to Samaritans, they, they weren't the nicest people in the world either, right? They would frequently often rob caravans of Jews on their way to Jerusalem. They were also known to desecrate the temple on the eve of the Passover by launching pigs into the court by catapult and having them splatter around the altar. Okay, can, can we sit in that for just a minute? 
Now listen, in my lifetime, I have not always seen eye to eye with every person I've met. I know this is gonna be a shocker to you, like, but shockingly, not everyone who meets me likes me. I know it's a shocker, but listen. At no point in my life have I ever thought, you know what would really get their attention? And I just, just go with me here. Hear me out. Let's launch a pig into their home. Right, that, that's never entered my mind. That is insane. That's hilarious. But it's, I mean, can you just envision that? I mean, we probably shouldn't, but it's just crazy. Right, but let's finish up our story together. Verse 34 says, he went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, now you go and you do likewise. So in this story, Jesus shows us what it means to serve our world. And then he shows us why we should serve our world. And then at the end, I want to share with you just a few practical ideas on how to serve our world. So first, we're going to look at what does it mean to serve the world? What does it mean to serve the world? So let me divide up the what of this question into the who and the when. So who should we serve? Well, the answer is anyone that we see in need. Anyone who we see in need, that's who we should serve. The Samaritan and the Jew could not have had less in common. And in order to meet the need, the Samaritan had to cross an incredible social barrier. You see, it's natural for all of us to try to help those who are like us, those with whom we identify. But Jesus taught that we are supposed to help those, especially those with whom we have little in common, even those who may have wronged us in the past. Which means the person that you barely know. It could mean those on the other side of the political aisle from you. It could mean those who you feel are suffering because of mistakes that they or their family made. It could mean that boss at work who has taken advantage of your work ethic. Who should we serve? The answer is anybody in need. But then the second question is when? When should we serve? And the answer to that question is whenever you see the need. You see, Christians are really good at coming up with all kinds of excuses for why they don't serve. According to my favorite theologian, uh, theologian, theologian, hello, the great bishop, Reverend, Reverend Jim Locke, two of the most common obstacles that keep many believers from serving is selfishness and inadequacy. Selfishness, and in, in other words, we're so focused on ourselves, our goals, our agendas, our dreams, our plans, that we don't have time to serve God or to serve others. This is what makes the ministry of Jesus so great. All throughout the New Testament, we see Jesus making himself available. 
He was willing to be interrupted. He was willing to stop and meet needs. And being a servant means letting God interrupt your schedule anytime he wants. Right? God's agenda becomes our agenda. And you see those interruptions as divine appointments. I had an instance of that happening happened just this past week, this past Thursday. I was finishing up around the office, and I, I was preparing. We've got a, a new series. We have a weekly uh, midweek college Bible study uh, called Image. And in, in, this, uh, in Image, we have a new series coming up that's really talking about and really focusing in on anxiety and depression and, and how... This generation of people, these college students up through young pros specifically, how they struggle so much with these two, um, with, with anxiety and depression. And so we're wanting to, to talk through that, but look at it from a biblical standpoint. How do we counteract that with the Bible? And so I'm doing some planning and just kind of thinking through that and ended up being in the office about an hour later than what I was supposed to leave. And as I was getting ready to leave, uh, I ran into one of my dear friends, one of our, our biblical counselors here, Miss Karen Thrower, and, and we start just having a conversation, and we're just talking about life in general, and through that conversation, it just kind of accidentally, we start talking about this idea of anxiety and depression and how it's just crippling uh, the, this, this generation of people that we just love so much. And she says to me, she said, hey, you know, like I actually have created this workshop of and, and, and she proceeds to tell me all the things. And I remember thinking to myself in that moment, that's exactly what we were trying to communicate to these students. Like, that's, that's it. That's what they're asking for. That's what they need. And so I go home and I'm telling April all about it, and I'm thinking through these things, and I'm just like, you know what? That was not by accident. Like, I can't orchestrate that. And so I call Miss Karen. I'm like, hey, what do you think about sharing this stuff? And, with, with, and, and she was immediately, yes. And she, she said the same thing. She said, listen, I told her, I said, listen, I was supposed to be gone about an hour before I interacted with you. And she said, well, listen, the funny thing is, is I had a counseling appointment and it ended or it started earlier. And so I had some extra time. So I wasn't even supposed to be, I was supposed to be in a counseling session. And we just happened to run into one another and have these conversations. And friends, I'm telling you, none of us are smart enough to orchestrate things like that. So it's our job when those divine appointments happen is we are to act on them. We join God in where he's at work. But another obstacle that we run into sometimes in serving is inadequacy. Some people never serve because they don't feel that they can serve perfectly. And friends, can I remind you that God never asks anybody for perfection he just wants a genuine heart to serve. And let me assure you, God has equipped you to serve. Let me give you an example of this. I'm going to compare you guys to the first service, okay? This is going to require you to do something, okay? If you are a NASCAR fan, would you raise your hand and actually admit that? Okay, so there's, there's, there's five in here. There were four in the first service, so you guys win, right? It's awesome, right? So let me tell you something. I love NASCAR. By the way, it is a sport, okay? So don't bring that in here. Here's the thing. You know where a great place to serve is for all of our NASCAR fans? Have you guys ever seen these golf carts running around the parking lot picking people up and bringing them here? 
Like that would be an ideal place for you guys that love NASCAR for you to serve, right? You put a little wedge adjustment in the rear and you bump draft or side draft around these turns. Man, you could have some fun with that. All joking aside, listen to what Proverbs 3 says. Proverbs 3.27 says, Do not withhold good from your neighbor when it is in your power to act. Do you hear that? Proverbs 3.27, Do not withhold good from your neighbor when it is in your power to act. Friends, if we have the opportunity to act, we have the responsibility to act. So that is what it means to serve the world. Now let's... Let's move over and look, more importantly, as to why do we serve the world? You see, it's at this point that Jesus turns this religious man's question on its head. If you remember, the question started with, the, with this lawyer asking what a person could do to inherit eternal life. But if you know anything about the life and teachings of Jesus, you know the whole point of his coming was that we could not save ourselves. And so he came to save us. Which is why Jesus puts an interesting twist into this story. Let me ask you a question. Why have the Samaritan be the hero here? I mean, why not tell the story in a way where the lawyer can identify with the person who offered the help? You know, why not say, well, the priest came by and then the Levite and then a really good, loving Jew came by. So you should probably be like the good Jew. Jesus uses a character here who could not have been any more different from the guy asking the question. And here's why. What if the person that we are supposed to identify with in this story is not the priest, is not the Levite, or is not the Good Samaritan? What if instead we were primarily like the guy who was bleeding on the side of the road? And what if someone who had every reason to hate us, every reason to be our enemy, someone very unlike us, had chosen to put himself in danger to help us? See, friends, what if the really good Samaritan is Jesus, who put himself into the path of danger and took upon himself the suffering that we had caused ourselves and poured out his own resources to save us. You see, Jesus is asking the man, what if you were bleeding to death on the side of the road and your only hope was an act of free grace from an enemy who did not owe you a thing? You see, after you had been rescued like that, what would your life look like? You see, Jesus is not giving the lawyer a new, a new rules as much as he's making him aware of a new reality. If we understand Jesus' life, we are the ones saved by radical grace, by a God who had every right to regard himself our enemy. And when we embrace this truth, we will become givers of radical grace. You see, God is not after rule followers. He just wants people who love like he loves, who responds like he responds. And that cannot be produced by the law. It can only be produced by a radical experience of grace. 
And we don't serve our neighbors because we have to do great things in order to be saved, but we serve them because great has been done for us to save us. And friends, that should completely shift everything in our lives. Because you see, we're really not talking here this morning about just serving the church. We're talking about creating within our families a culture of a lifestyle of service. Everything about our life should revolve around serving Jesus. Not to earn his favor, but out of the overflow of what he's done for us. And friends, this starts at home. This starts at home. Men, are you serving your wife? Are you treating her like the good gift from God that she is? You know, parents, are you serving your kids? Not in a, hey, give them everything they want type of way, but do your kids know that you are a safe place for them? Are you discipling them? Are you encouraging them in Jesus? Or what about, your, what about your job? Are you serving those that you work alongside? Are you pointing them to Jesus? My point is, regardless of where you are at in life, whether you are a student or an employee or a spouse or a grandparent or fill in the blank, God has given you a platform. Are you using it to serve him? You see, when we develop this mindset of living out of the radical grace that's been poured over us, we can't help but to serve other people. And so we've talked about what it means to serve the world, and we've talked about why we serve the world. Now, let's get to the practical side of this for our last few minutes together and answer the question, then how do we serve the world? This story is great because it shows us two things that every one of us need. Like we all need courage and we all need margin. We need courage in our lives and we need margin in our lives. As we saw a little while ago, fear was one of the deterrents to keep the priest and the Levite from engaging to help the man in need. To stop and help would have put them at risk. And so we see that they were fearful it's interesting because it's also one of the primary factors that keeps us from serving, right? We ask questions, well, if, if I get involved, well, what effect will that have on my life? Or how will this affect my time? Or listen, being fearful is against what we see in Scripture. We are commanded to be courageous people. So we need courage in our lives, but we also need margin in our lives, you see, for many of us listening today, you are lacking any room in your life to actually get involved in someone else's life. You're lacking that. The priest and the Levite saw the wounded man as a distraction, but they ignored the need to take care of someone who was in desperate need of help. You know, a lot of us, we are like the priest and the Levite. We're like them in how we use our time and how we use our money. We have, we have no margin in our lives to be involved, which means that we probably need to audit our lives a little bit. And if I'm describing you, I want to encourage you to take an honest look at your life and see if you are making, the mo the, making time for the most important things in life, which means that you may have to give up some good things 
so that you can accomplish great things. For example, maybe, maybe you give up purchasing that brand new truck and you purchase a reliable used truck instead and then instead of paying a large car payment each month, you're free to serve others with your finances. Right? You give up a good thing for a great thing. Or maybe your family decides that instead of playing travel ball all summer that you go on a family mission trip instead. You give up a good thing for a great thing. And when you audit your life and you find the margin, it enables you to be more available to serve. Now in the context of serving at church, you know, maybe you're here and you love younger children, like you love babies and preschool age, and you want to be a blessing to parents so they can come to a worship service with no worries about their babies. Like, here's a couple of needs right now in our preschool area. They need some classroom helpers. What that means is that you would actually help kids with crafts that support the Bible lesson. They need help with that. You can do that weekly, you can do that monthly. Or, you know, maybe your gifting is teaching. Maybe you'd be willing to teach. Our, our preschool team is absolutely amazing. What teaching requires is that you read over the lesson a couple times during the week, and when you arrive here on Sunday, everything is laid out waiting on you. You don't have to prep anything. You just have to read and become familiar with a story. You walk into a classroom that's fully prepared. But maybe that, like, that's, that's not your, you know, your favorite place to serve. Maybe you like older kids. Well, you could serve in our kids' men area. They're needing people right now that would be classroom helpers that would assist in like where the, where the kids are going to these different stations and doing things and you would walk and you would help out with the kids. Or maybe you're, you could be there and just help the kids stay focused on the lesson when it's being taken place. Or maybe you don't really want to be in a classroom but you're willing to smile at someone. They need people to just sit at the desk and welcome families who are dropping their kids off at, uh, and kids men just to, be a, just to be a welcoming face for them. Or maybe you like teenagers. Here's a need that we have right now in student ministry. Like we're having a, week, a weekend retreat at the end of February. And we are needing um, 10 more host homes who would be willing to say, you know what, I, I, we're fine with six to eight teenagers and college leaders to come stay in our house so that it's kind of a, just a hub for Bible study for that weekend. Like that's something that we need uh, in student ministry. Or maybe you aren't in a spot where you can help in any of those areas, but guess what? We have something for you as well. Before I tell you about it, I need to see if you qualify for it. Okay, so we're going to see if you qualify to serve in this capacity. And it's a group activity, and I know you're so excited about it. I can see it on your faces. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Look at your neighbor. Everybody look at your neighbor. Okay, not awkwardly. Just look at them real quick. And smile at them and say, good morning. Okay, that was a large percentage of you guys in here. You did a, you did a great job with that. Listen, if you were able to do that just now, we would love to have you serve as part of a greeting team. You know what that means? It means that literally you would stand out in the lobby, you would stand outside the doors, you would hold doors for people, you'd meet them on the sidewalk, and you would, when they get out of their cars on Sundays, you would look at them, you would smile at them, and hang on, then you say, good morning. If you want to get crazy, you could actually say, 
we're glad to see you today. Right? Who does not want to be greeted that way when we arrive at church? We all want that. But it's a need. Those are easy things, right? And you can sign up for all of these things. But the point is, I promise you this. There is a spot for you to serve. But before we dismiss today, I want to talk for just a second to the audience who are, who's not sitting in this room today. Those of you who are watching online, you're not comfortable coming back to in-person worship services yet. I would encourage you to utilize this time to still serve. If you're watching online, that tells me that you actually have access to the internet. And so you should be using that as a means for serving. So, so here's my challenge for you. Like, do it before you even log off, like right now. Whatever platform you're using, email, message five people and just encourage them. Tell them you're praying for them. Do that every day this week, wherever you are. Use your platform and your giftings to serve Jesus. Because COVID has not slowed down our call to serve. We are still called to serve. And so may the words that Jesus gave this lawyer be the same ones that we take home with us today. Now go and do likewise. So here's the thing. I'm I'm, going to stop talking and I'm going to let you guys get to work. And if I can help you get plugged in, I want you to pull out your phones right now and email me, dscott at hillcrestchurch.com. And all you have to say is I'm interested in serving and tell me where. And I promise you by the end of this day, I will have you in contact with the person that you need to be in contact with. Go see Jim Carmack. He's back in the Next Step Center where you can sign up to be that smiling face that just says good morning. Or for you NASCAR fans, find out which which golf cart you're jumping on next week. Right? If you want to sign up to be a host home for D now, the student team's back there and can do that. The point is, do something. Our mission at Hillcrest is to help people in becoming like Christ, who worship God, who connect with others, who serve our world, who invest in someone. And so church, you have heard the challenge, now it's time to follow through. How are you going to plug in? Go and do likewise.